Welcome to Wellspring on the Air. I'm Nicole Alfonso, a therapist at Wellspring and the host of today's show about autism spectrum disorder. With me today to discuss this interesting topic is Judith Lemus. Together, we want to tell you about autism spectrum disorder and what it can look like. So stay with us. We've got some important information just for you. Thank you, Judith, for taking the time to do this show about autism spectrum disorder. I think it's a disorder that we do not know a lot about. I think the general public um, might have some questions and just not fully understand it. So I appreciate you um, doing this for us today. Would you tell the audience a little bit about you before we get started? Of course, thanks for having me. Um, like Nicole said, my name is Judith Lemus. I'm a registered mental health counseling intern at Wellspring. Um, and specifically, I have some uh, background in interacting with people on the spectrum. My job before this, I was actually what they call a support coordinator. It's a little bit like a social worker that very specifically helps allocate resources um, and supports for people with de developmental disorders, including people with autism spectrum disorder. So I worked there for several years, interacting with people, visiting um, people on the spectrum, talking to them, making sure they get their supports. Um, and personally, I have family members, including um, a nephew on the spectrum, and I interact regularly with kids in my church on the spectrum as well. So I do have some background with that interaction. Um, it's given me a lot of passion to see how we can best support um, people on the spectrum and how best just to understand um, as individuals. Awesome, Judith. I think that's great. I love that you have all that experience um, of working with uh, people and even having people in your family um, with the disorder. It just it, It's just so different when you have the opportunity to engage um, and really understand it. So thank you. And I do want to say that the aim of this podcast is to provide basic understanding of what autism is and what therapy and other supports could look like for adults and children in the autism spectrum disorder. So it's important that you know that we note that it's not intended to be a measuring tool to diagnose autism. But if you do, as you listen, um, you see that, that, the, that some of these symptoms kind of pop out to you, maybe with yourself or someone you know, please go ahead and take the steps to um, be evaluated, right, for, for autism. So let's get started, Judith, tell us what is autism? Yeah, so autism, it's what's considered a neurodevelopmental disorder. And basically the way that it affects the brain, it affects it um, in the areas of communication and in behavior. Um, so there's a few key um, areas that it's used to look at, to diagnose. And again, we're not diagnosing here. We're just looking at some of uh, how it how it presents in people. So first of all, like I said, it affects in social communication and in social interaction. The other thing it affects maybe repetitive, restricted behaviors, um, restricted or focused interests in certain things or in certain activities. And very key to this, and this is the part where it says a developmental disorder, that it's something that it presents itself within the first two years of life. It's not a mental health disorder in a way that um, you can develop it later on or because something happened to you that you'll get it after that. It's something that you're basically born with. And so here are 
some just for a little bit of better understanding of what it means okay so how does it affect social communication how does it affect so, social interaction so here are some of the things that kind of pop up um, you might notice maybe you or somebody you know on the spectrum some difficulty making eye contact there's little eye contact there's no eye contact when you're interacting or speaking with someone um, maybe not looking or listening when people speak directly to you. Um, sometimes when you're trying to show or share about an object or an interest, you naturally, for, for some people, you'll just point to that. But if you're on the spectrum, that sort of thing just doesn't happen to you. Um, failing to respond to your name, just having difficulty following back and forth conversations. Um, and sometimes going forth with your conversation uh, without noticing if somebody's interested or not, or even giving somebody a chance to respond to what you're saying. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes facial expressions won't match what you're saying or the outward emotions. Sometimes it affects the tone of how you're speaking. Um, the way that it's put here is like a sing-song tone or maybe like a flat tone saying the same sort of tone as you speak or having trouble understanding other people's points of view when they're trying to explain something you you have trouble uh, understanding what they mean or the emotion behind it or why um, things are happening that way and so that's kind of the the main symptoms that might happen with social interaction looking a little bit at the repetitive behaviors or the restricted behaviors that might happen. Um, so for example, repeating words or phrases, uh, we call this officially echolalia. Uh, but yeah, you might notice that you tend to repeat a phrase you saw in a movie or in a TV show, you repeat it, you repeat it or a word. Um, very lasting interest or intense interest in certain topics. It could be about details. It could be about certain facts or even numbers. Um, focused interest with moving parts. So in the fidget spinner, that's something that has moving parts that can be mm. attention. Um, getting upset with slight changes in routine. Um, it's difficult to adjust for you or being having more intense or less intense sensory reactions to sensory input. So for someone, you might see someone who is very particular about the clothes they wear because certain sorts of touch can be much too intense. Mm -hmm. On the opposite end, you might see somebody who won't react even to certain types of like pain. It's less sensory input. Um, so yeah, so those are kind of the symptoms that you can see. The important thing to remember here is that it varies. There's a wide variation. You're not going to find all of these symptoms in one person um, and not in the exact same way. And this is why it's called a spectrum disorder, um, because it just presents itself so differently with other people and at different levels of severity. And um, when you talk these symptoms, I mean, there's just a lot of different things here, but yeah. when you say these things, these are things that can show up both in children and adults, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So what we find is that um, 
you can start seeing it by the time a child is one or two years old. You can start seeing it. Um, at that time, it might be difficult to go ahead and make a diagnosis because children are still learning and developing. And so you don't know if it's spectrum disorder or if it's just a child's personality. And so sometimes you're not sure how, on, you know, whether you should check for a diagnosis at that age. As you grow as a child, you can see it maybe a little bit more clearly. What happens with adults, um, depending on the severity level, um, if somebody, for example, it's less severe, they have less issues with social interaction, maybe they learn how to compensate uh, for some of these behaviors, learn how to um, maybe mask, that's a term that's used, mm -hmm. mask or hide certain behaviors um, to better blend in and not have issues with other people where somebody might point it out or cause problems. So um, as adults, there are some people that learn how to compensate and mask, but you might not see it as obviously as you would in a child. Mm. And what can you can you give us some examples of what masking what like kind of masking things like would they like avoid certain places or avoid certain gatherings because they would feel awkward in social settings or what kind of things would you like some examples? Yeah, I'll give you a very specific example that I learned from actually a client that I had um, who was diagnosed with with autism spectrum disorder while we were in therapy. And here's the example that she gave to me um, is that for her, when she finds something funny, she finds she has no need to laugh. She doesn't feel the urge. Um, it just doesn't come naturally to her. But what she noticed is that everybody else does. And so she has a long-term partner who liked to watch movies with her. And the partner would always laugh at the funny movies and would be confused and sometimes upset on why aren't you laughing? Are you not enjoying yourself? So my client learned, okay, I'll laugh during these funny parts. I'm enjoying myself. I don't feel the need to laugh, but I'll laugh because it causes less conflict. It makes everything flow smoother. So that's um, something that might happen there. And it's not that anybody is trying to fool somebody. Um, they're just compensating, trying to make sure that their relationships are going well, that things seem to flow better like that. And maybe they're not even thinking consciously about it, um, but it's something that they learn. Yeah, they're making adjustments, mm -hmm. social adjustments, right? Exactly. So that they feel like they fit in with what's happening or they can, you know, be part of what's happening mm -hmm. and not be maybe pointed out, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, that makes sense. But without fully understanding why. Right. They're just like, okay, this, this seems like I, this is what I should be doing because everybody's doing it. So I exactly. should probably do that. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Wow. This is a lot of good information. So let's go ahead and we're going to go take a short break to thank one of our sponsors who makes the production of our podcast possible. When we come back, we'll hear more from Judith about what treatments are out there for autism. Welcome back to Wellspring on the Air. This is Nicole Alfonso. If you're just joining our show, our topic today is about autism spectrum disorder. So far today, we've talked about what are the symptoms um, that people experience when they're in the spectrum. If you joined us late, you can find us on our favorite podcast channel on Wellspring on the Air or on our website blog page at wellspringmiami.org. Just search for this topic, which is autism spectrum disorder. 
Okay, so Judith, we talked about the symptoms, what it could look like. It, it shows up in a children and adults, how adults can mask some of these so that they can fit in and feel like they're part of. So now let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the treatment that's out there for people with autism spectrum disorder. Okay, yeah, and treatment is important um, for people on the spectrum not to um, get rid of or heal from autism spectrum disorder because that's just something um, that doesn't go away. It's, it, it's something that you're born with and can't be, um, like I said, treated, healed in a way that it takes it away. But what we do offer or what, what we want to look into is how to best offer supports. And actually, that's how you diagnose severity, severity level is how much support a person needs mm -hmm. um, based on how much they're affected on the social interaction or the behavior aspects. So here are some of the treatments that can be found. Um, and I'll specify, you know, whether or not it's something that's usually used in children or, or more in adults. So for example, one of the things um, that's most commonly seen, especially when treating children, is behavioral therapy or what we call the applied behavior analysis. And what, what you wanna do with this or what they're trying to do with this is to understand the behavior and the reason behind it. So they look at what happens before the behavior, what happens after the behavior to see, okay, what's driving a behavior? And if needed, um, how do we modify it or how do we teach uh, more healthy behaviors? Um, this is especially important for children who might engage in self-harm. Um, and so we don't want, of course, our children to be hurt. And so what we want to understand, okay, so why is the self-harm there? Why are they doing that? What's driving it? What kind of um, satisfaction do they gain from it um, through the self-harm? Um, I would like to just note there's some, a little bit of conscious controversy behind behavioral therapy, applied behavior analysis. Um, people on the spectrum disorder have spoken out on how it can be too restrictive or too controlling or too much making it seem like we're just trying to make you look like people without autism spectrum disorder. But there are definitely some positives there. Um, and what we could just encourage if you feel like it would be helpful um, to you or your child to give it a try and see if it works for you. So, now, Judith, I wanted to ask you about the self-harm because when people hear self-harm in the autism spectrum disorder, mm -hmm. it's not like self-harm, like maybe cutting behaviors, right? It's different. Can you just give a few examples of what that looks like in that um, disorder, self-harm? Yeah, so. Um, it kind of falls into the area of repetitive behaviors and what many people believe and have studied from sensory issues. So for example, um, you can see someone head banging, banging their head against the wall or hitting themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes even hitting other people as well. Um, so those are the kind of things, scratching, maybe hair pulling, that kind of thing. And so again, they want to see what's the reason behind it. Maybe they're, they're, it's too much sensory information and that's how they relieve or too little stimulation and they're trying to get some. And so it depends and it should be uh, researched with the help of someone who, who has a lot of 
um, backgrounds in this and, and competence in this area to help you figure out what's the best way to help redirect those behaviors um, so that the child or you, if you're looking into it for yourself, learn how to better stimulate yourself instead of self-harm. Great. Thank you. So that's why behavioral, you know, therapy is important and, and some useful. Um, okay, good. So next. Yeah. So the other, uh, another way that they target treatment, um, another approach is what we call the developmental uh, or they approach on a developmental side. So instead of targeting very specific behaviors or something that might be familiar to some people, speech and language therapy. And this can be very important um, because uh, on the spectrum disorder, there can be in the different severity levels, some people don't use verbal expression to communicate. Some people won't talk at all. Um, some people will, some people won't. Um, so what, what they look at is helping to learn how to communicate either verbally, um, if they can better understand how to communicate verbally. And if not, what are other ways to communicate, including using pictures, including using uh, technological devices like a tablet to speak for them, finding the best way to, for this person to communicate. And communication is key to make connections, to uh, make needs and wants known. Um, so that's a, uh, an important way to, to give treatment to people on autism spectrum disorder. Um, another developmental approach is occupational therapy. And that's a specific approach where we're teaching um, skills needed for independence. So that includes learning how to dress yourself, how to bathe, um, how to clothe, how to maintain hygiene, mm. um, how to do basic daily living skills that will help with independence. So all of these are, are to help give the person independence as much mm. as they can, they can take care of themselves in these areas. Um, educational is an approach that's used, especially in classroom settings. We want to make sure that the educational setting is best uh, modified or supports the learning of the child. And this is one more for children. They take a look at the classroom. Um, how can the setup be better? How can uh, the lesson plans be more accommodating? And then the last one we're looking at is social relational. And that focuses on helping people improve the social interaction portion. So for example, if there's, if in treating a child, they help improve communication between parent and child. Parent might not understand, like, why is my child acting this way? Child mm -hmm. might not understand, why are my parents acting this way? So they want to increase um, and improve that in communication, um, improve motivation for social communication, interest in it, um, and give opportunities for people even to practice it in a safe place, maybe in like a group um, where people can practice social interaction. Um, so those are the treatments. Uh, and then I don't know if you want to get into the medication. So why would medication be an option for people in the autism uh, spectrum disorder? Because we know that, that there is no 
particular cure. It is uh, mostly the research shows hereditary, right? And so yeah. a genetic component to it. So tell us about why medication would be useful for this population. Yeah, this is mostly useful to treat co-occurring um, symptoms. So high energy levels can be a thing, inability to focus, and even it can help with self-harm. So those are the things that it will treat um, and can help. So it could be really important for for people uh, on the spectrum disorder. Okay, and of course they need, you know, if, if that's the case, they do need to work with a doctor experienced in, in this um, specific, specific to autism spectrum disorder. Yeah. Okay, good. So um, psychological help, going to a therapist. Yeah. That's another possibility, right? Absolutely. And so actually um, there is, what we call specialized mental health counselors. And what that is, is somebody who has had um, the specific two-year experience working with people with developmental disorders and co-occurring mental health disorders. Um, but you can still go to a therapist if you would like. And that's important because research has found that people on the spectrum tend to um, also have co-occurring anxiety disorders, co-occurring depression disorders. And so for example, co-occurring anxiety disorders can be seen in 27 to 42% of the population and co-occurring depressive disorders, 23 to 37% of the population. So- And this is based, uh-huh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so that's based on a recent study um, in an analysis in 2018, they, they did this study um, on the population on the autism spectrum disorder. And so what we find is that, yeah, mental health services are also helpful in treating these areas. Um, and what we see is a lot of approach in helping people understand thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, uh, which we call cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, very important, especially for people already struggling with the social aspect um, of communication to better understand how all of these interact. Mm -hmm. Now, um, autism spectrum disorder does fall under a disability. So there are support and services and resources that uh, can be helpful. Um, so tell us a little bit about that if somebody needs to tap into any you know, benefits for, yeah. um, mm -hmm. Okay, so definitely people, like, like Nicole said, um, it, it qualifies as a disability. So across the board, most people will qualify for Medicaid, and you can actually go to the Medicaid website, and it'll list services and supports by state. And so just speaking a little bit specific to Florida, um, there is what they call a Medicaid waiver put into place. They, they allocate funds directly for these services um, to support people with developmental disorders, including autism. And so through that, you can get services like personal care, residential habilitation. So if you're an adult, can't live on your own, they pay for housing in residential facilities. Um, Supported employment, helping maintain a job, helping learn the skills for a job and support in that area. 
occupational therapy, uh, behavior analysis services, Medicaid covers it as a child, but if you want to continue as an adult, behavior analysis services can be covered through that. Companion services, if it's not safe for you to go out on your own and um, interact socially, a companion can be provided, somebody who will go with you and make sure you're safe. Um, supported living coaching, if you live on your own, but you still need support in the home, it's a service that's provided to help you with things like finances and making sure um, that your needs are met in the home. Um, besides that, here in South Florida, we have the UM um, NSU card, which through the University of Miami and the Nova S Southeastern University Center for Autism and Related Disabilities. They provide a lot of good support, including consultation um, for diagnosis and supports needed. And they provide support not just for the individual um, on the spectrum disorder, but they include family support um, to help with that. Um, for teens, siblings, recreational activities, they're very an excellent program. And I've heard that's wonderful because we know that these disorders can affect the entire family, and mm -hmm. we need to learn how to manage as a family, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, how to best support. Absolutely. Yeah, we can also just, uh -huh. Sorry. just, you know, just um, also letting everyone know that specific for supports and jobs, the vocational rehabilitation uh, works with people with any disability really to evaluate what's the help needed for continuing education and for seeking and maintaining a job. Um, that's with the US Department of Labor but that's also available for anyone interested. Awesome. So, wow, that, that's a lot of good um, information for, for people to receive services and there's a lot there. So thank you for sharing that. So why do we, should we learn about autism if maybe we don't even have um, people in our lives or people we know, why would it be important for us to, to learn more about autism? Yeah, and so, Actually, autism is more prevalent than people think. Recently, um, we found that in the year 2020, autism had actually risen to being diagnosed in one in every 44 children. Um, so that's a lot more than most people would think. Um, so why, why should we care about this? Why should we learn about this? And it's to understand the people around us and to provide support. Um, and understanding more about it, lessen stigma mm -hmm. about autism spectrum disorder. There's a lot of stigma around it, a lot of misunderstanding that can prevent people from being diagnosed and prevent people from getting the support that they need. Um, so the more the information's out there, the more people um, that need support get support. And so that's really important. And if we're just looking at it as people, and if we're looking at it as Christian people, we know that God calls us to love one another in the same way that he loves us and understands us. So for example, Galatians 5, 1, 2 says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up, up for us. And then later in that chapter, it says, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, um, to serve one another through love. And it says, and this is the famous phrase, you should love 
your neighbor as yourself. So understanding um, helps us love our neighbor and support them. And so just across the board, looking at all sorts of relationships of people. So it could be a family member, a friend, somebody you know, a coworker. We want to best learn how to love and support and understand. If you are in a position of, of, of teaching or a teacher, a pastor, uh, people are placed into your care. So you want to best understand all of them, not just people uh, who don't have any disorders. You want to be best uh, equipped to help and guide. Um, for therapists, of course, uh, we want to be competent and know how to best help or how to direct to services um, or how to best treat people under, under their care. And then just for yourself, if you're wondering like, why should I know this for myself? And it's also to learn about yourself and learn how to love yourself and the wonderful person that God created you to be. Um, and, and to make sure that you know how to best thrive because autism spectrum disorder doesn't mean that you can't achieve goals mm -hmm. or dreams. Um, you are capable of doing so much and it's especially helpful when you know, well, if I just need a little support, okay, you can get it. If you need a lot of support, you can also get that too. Mm -hmm. um, and the more you know, the more you know how to best navigate your own feelings, your own emotions, um, and the world around you. Yes. Thank you so much, Judith. Um, we are all capable of, capable of doing great things, no matter if we have limits or not, and we can get the support we need to do that. So I appreciate so much um, you um, speaking to us about autism spectrum disorder. <clears throat> It's time to close out the show. Thank you, Judith Lemus, for joining us today and shedding light on the topic of autism spectrum disorder. We hope you learned about autism and understand it, understand it more by listening in today. And thank you for joining our show today. Again, if you joined this program midstream, you can find this show and others on podcast at Wellspring on the Air or on our blog on wellspringmiami.org. The title of today's show, again, was Autism Spectrum Disorder. Encourage us and let us know you're listening by sending comments or questions to on the air at wellspringmiami.org. It's time to wrap up. This is Nicole Alfonso with Wellspring on the Air because hearts and minds matter. <laughs>